Well, good evening. evening. We're going to continue on what we began this morning, um, looking at covenants and promises that God made with man in the scripture. Uh, This morning we looked at uh, the covenant that God made with Noah and with all living creatures on the earth, and also the covenant that God made with Abraham. Uh, We're going to continue on and we're going to be looking at um, what we refer to as the law. Um, the giving of the law, the covenant that God made um, with the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt, and the covenant, the covenant that God made with Israel uh, right before they enter into the land. Uh, oh, you read my mind. Thank you. So we're going to be looking at those items, and then we're going to be tying in an application to ourselves. What does this mean to us? Uh, why go over it? Um, Why is it even uh, given in our Bible as something that um, seems to be such a big stumbling block um, for most uh, of all, well, most Christendom? Um, They feel that in some way the law either is the way of salvation by obeying the law, or they feel that the law is a means to uh, sanctification to make themselves holy. Um, And we're going to see that um, that was never the intent of the law nor was it ever promised to be that. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. That's where we're going to begin. And again, this whole idea of going over the covenants and promises is to strengthen our faith in the Word of God, that we would see that faith is reading what the Word of God says and choosing to believe it. Um, We only have faith based on what the Word of God says because that's the only thing that's true of a surety. Um, People talk about faith, again, as if, uh, you just hope for the best. Um, you just got to have faith and, um, you know, that it'll all work out. Uh, that's, that's definitely a road to disaster. Um, we definitely don't want people to think that that's what we believe. Um, we believe something that God has said, something that can be proven. Um, so Exodus 19, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim, and were come to the desert of Sinai, and had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, and shall speak unto the children of Israel. Um, So we went over the seven features that we have in a covenant. Um, We see that there has to be a covenant initiator. Um, There has to be a covenant recipient who the promises go to. The third thing is the promises themselves. And then the other four items will sometimes be there. In the case of the law, and we're going to have all the elements there. Um, we're going to see a particular setting, what God means to convey by it. Uh, we're going to see that in this case, uh, we see for the first time there is a mediator. Um, God doesn't speak directly to them as a whole. He speaks through Moses, and Moses is the mediator of the covenant. Um, There's going to be terms and conditions, something we didn't see in the other covenants, and there's going to be a covenant sign. So all these features will be uh, in place here, and the first couple things we're going to look at is obviously the covenant initiator is God, and the covenant recipient 
is, it says, Thus shalt thou say in verse 3 to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel. They would be the covenant recipients. And the promise is given in verse 6. Well, we'll start in verse 5. Now, therefore, if you, if is the big key, if you will obey any vo- my, my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Um, these were the promises given in the covenant that God made with the children of Israel. Um, this idea of a peculiar people is really um, God's own possession. Um, that's what he's referring to, that Israel would be a special, a special possession to him. And the promises indicate that they would have national privilege and service. Uh, nobody else would be able to serve God in the way that the children of Israel would be able to serve God. And they will be given a national standing, uh, will be exalted to a, a high place among the kingdoms of the world if, if they obey. And that's really the key that we have here, if they obey. Um, in verses 7 and 8, it says, And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. So God states, If you obey, this is what I'm going to do. And immediately the people say, well, we'll do it. Whatever it is, we're going we're gonna to do it. Um, they didn't even say, well, what exactly does this all entail? Um, they didn't see any problem with doing what God wanted them to do. Um, God had taken them out of Egypt. He had um, redeemed them from bondage. And now they were there, and they thought, well, if God wants us to do something, then we should do it. Um, some call it ignorance. Um, some call it zeal. Um, I'm sure if we were all in the same position, we would have done the same thing after seeing everything the Lord had done. And man, since they changed these lights in here, it's, it's gotten really hot. I was a fan of the LEDs. Um, so we see that Moses is the mediator. Moses received the words from God directly, gave them to the people, had the people say, go tell the Lord whatever he says, we're going to do it. Moses goes back to the Lord and relays that message to him. So we're going to take a look at this setting. Um, this is all things prior to the covenant being established. Um, right now it's, it's just going on as these are the things that God is going to do, and later we're going to see this formal element of the covenant. So Exodus 19 and verse 9, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that you go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning 
that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. So we see here that the setting given in particular is really a frightful thing. Um, they're all going together to this mount, and on this mount is thunder and lightning and fire, uh, nothing like what we saw when the covenants were made with Abram and, or Noah. But God is trying to convey a feeling of what they're getting themselves into um, by means of this setting, that he is a holy God, that he is a just God, that he is a righteous God, that they don't enter into this agreement flippantly, um, that they go in with their eyes open, that this God will surely put you to death. Um, it says that he would make bounds, and if they would come at a certain distance, they would be struck, struck dead. So this, the setting here we see is important that it conveys just the seriousness of the covenant that they're getting into. <clears throat> so looking at uh, chapter 20, looking at chapter 20, we're going to get really the, the way that the covenant is given. It's given in three parts. Um, we're going to look at it and see the commandments, uh, the law that's given, moral law. We're going to see judgments that are given, uh, th what to do in certain situations, how to resolve issues when we can think of as uh, social law. And the third thing is going to be the statutes, and we can look at that as religious law or order. Um, <clears throat> in verse 1 of chapter 20, it said, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Um, we see that this is the beginning of the, the Ten Commandments, and as we go through these Ten Commandments, we see that it's man's responsibility towards God, man's responsibility towards one another. But what we see really is what we define as morality. Um, people look at morality today as if it's a, a Western idea that we somehow came up with, with morality and, what, and what's moral and what's not moral. Um, but we see here that uh, God is the one that uh, came up with this. Um, these laws were written by his finger. And so we see the importance of them. Um, a couple of them, it says... Uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Uh, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments." So we look at this first instance of, uh, like I say, uh, commandments, moral law, the things that they were going to be required to do. And every one of us would look at these things and say, okay, yeah, we should do all of those things. Um, the next portion that God is going to introduce is in chapter 21. Chapter 21, and beginning in verse 1, just right there, it says, Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them, um, and one example is, if thou buy a Hebrew servant six years, he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. Uh, if he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. Um, these are all things we're going to see relationship with servants, 
what to do if your ox gores another man. Um, if, if, uh, whose responsibility is this act? Um, laws concerning acts of violence. So in verse 12, it says, He that smiteth a man so that he die uh, shall be surely put to death. And if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place whither he shall flee. Um, but if a man come upon, come presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, thou shalt take him from mine altar that he may die. Uh, so it gives in certain circumstances what to do if this happens. Um, a lot of times this would have been um, issues that they would have referred to. And at this point, they're agreeing to do all that God has said to do. So <clears throat> when looking at the law today, many people will say, well, your, your job is to keep the Ten Commandments. Um, if you keep the Ten Commandments, then you know, you'll, you'll be righteous and God will have to let you into heaven. And first of all, there, there's a couple things I just want to point out um, with the recipients, with the promises given. Um, first of all, the covenant is to Israel and to Israel only. So you'd have to be a member of Israel to have a place in this covenant. Uh, the second thing is that you have to keep everything, not just the Ten Commandments. You have to keep the whole law, the, the Ten Commandments, the judgments, and the religious statutes. Um, you'd have to do all of it perfectly. And the third thing to remember is that uh, it never promised salvation. Uh, the promise was to Israel for, for national privilege and blessing. So <clears throat> those are three things to keep in mind uh, when dealing with somebody that has these views of, of keeping the law, even... Um, being sanctified by the law, you would have to do it all. Um, so that's uh, the judgments. Looking at religious law, uh, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 27. Exodus chapter 27. 27 and verse 20. <clears throat> We have, and thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring the pure olive oil beaten for the light to cause the lamp to burn always in the tabernacle of the congregation without the veil, which is before the testimony. Aaron and his sons shall order it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever unto their generations on the behalf of the children of Israel. So we see that really these statutes are uh, religious law that are given to the children of Israel, and there's a number of them all the things that they're supposed to do, the order, how they're supposed to do them, who can do them and who can't do them. <clears throat> and what we're going to see is that these three features of the promises given have their exact counterpart in the New Testament church. The New Testament church has commandments. Um, we'll just look at one of them. You don't have to turn there. Let me just... Uh, the New Testament church will have commandments. One of the uh, easiest places to find one is uh, 1 John 3, 23. Um, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Uh, and he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which, we, which he hath given us. Um, so we do have commandments in the church, to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to love our neighbor. Um, we have judgments. Um, church discipline uh, is a judgment. Matthew 18, we see if a man have a, uh, an issue with another man, let him go to him. If he doesn't listen, let him take two or three witnesses. If he still doesn't listen, let him take with him the assembly. And if he still doesn't listen, then he's going to have to be 
uh, put under discipline. And we see that that is a judgment, um, that we are required to do those things. And we also have statutes. Um, 1 Timothy uh, 3.14 and 15 talk about how we are to behave ourselves in the household of God. Um, people today look at uh, how we get together and we say, they say, well, what's the point? And um, the point is God has statutes that he's put in place that we are to obey. Uh, the veiling of the women, uh, the oral participation of the men, uh, the silence of the women in the meeting, um, all together administering as priests in our role together. Um, these are all religious statutes that we have, the breaking of the bread. We are asked to keep them all. People don't see a problem with keeping the commandment, um, but they do sometimes have issue with judgments and with the statutes uh, that we are given. So that is really a direct relationship of the, um, <clears throat> the threefold uh, law that uh, God has given with Israel. We still have our job to obey. Uh, the difference is we're not under a covenant with God that if we disobey, he comes in and he uh, does what he does to the children of Israel. That was never his agreement with us. <clears throat> so go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. This is going to be the, the formal aspect of the covenant. Again, the reason why there's a formal aspect of the covenant is like uh, my wife and I, before we got married, say we made promises to each other. Uh, I'm going to do this, you're going to do this, I'm going to be this to you, and you're going to be this to me. All these promises that take place before the ceremony, those are all nice things and we do intend to keep them. But when you make those vows to one another, at that ceremony in front of all the witnesses, that's when it really becomes binding. And that's when that marriage actually is going to take place uh, when you two are going to be joined to one. So all of these promises God is going to fulfill, but this is where Israel comes into a binding relationship with this covenant in Exodus chapter 24. So Exodus chapter 24 reads, uh, we'll read, let's see, the first eight verses. Um, and he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice, and said, All the words which the Lord hath said will we do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the hill and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people and they said, All that the Lord hath said will we do, and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. Again, this covenant was given to Israel that they might be a people of privilege, that they might be a special people to God. Um, they went into this with their, their eyes open, everything that the Lord said we will do, and it became binding at this point in time. What this covenant demonstrates, the first two we saw this morning, the first one demonstrated um, God's character for preservation, that he was going to be the one to preserve the world until the time of the end. Um, the second thing we see is that God's character and that his desire for a relationship. Um, we only have blessings because of the promises given to Abraham. 
and we've gone over the legal aspect of how we come into those promises. Uh, what this one demonstrates really to us is God's righteousness, um, God's standard given, that all of these things have to be met and all of these things have to be done um, perfectly. So this is God's standard for righteousness. We're going to look at the next portion, um, the next portion of this covenant. Really, it's a, it's a separate covenant. Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy. Uh, turn to Deuteronomy 29 first. Just real quick, I want to show you. So the next part of the covenant we're going to be looking at really demonstrates God's faithfulness. Um, this is a covenant that God is coming into with the children of Israel um, just before they're going into the land. So we saw the covenant that he made with them when they came out of Egypt. This covenant he's establishing with them before they enter into the land. And we see here in uh, Deuteronomy 29 and verse 1, These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, beside the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. And verse 9, it says, Keep therefore the words of this covenant and do them, that ye may prosper in all that ye do. Uh, so this covenant had to do with uh, Israel prospering in the land and having a prosperous time in the land. It's one thing to be promised the land, and uh, it's another thing to be promised to prosper in it. So go ahead and turn back to Deuteronomy uh, 27. Deuteronomy 27. We're going to look at the first uh, 11 or so verses. And Moses with the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you this day. And it shall be on the day when you shall pass over Jordan unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, that thou shalt set thee up great stones and plaster them with plaster. And thou shalt write upon them all the words of this law, when thou art passed over, that thou mayest go in unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, a land that floweth with milk and honey, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee. Therefore it shall be, when ye be gone over Jordan, that ye shall set up these stones, which I command you this day, in Mount Ebal, and thou shalt plaster them with plaster. And there shalt thou build an altar unto the Lord thy God, an altar of stones. Thou shalt not lift up any iron tool upon them, Thou shalt build the altar of the Lord thy God of whole stones, and thou shalt offer burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord thy God. And thou shalt offer peace offerings, and shalt eat there, and rejoice before the Lord thy God. And thou shalt write upon the stones all the words of this law very plainly. And Moses and the priests, the Levites, spake unto all Israel, saying, Take heed and hearken, O Israel. This day thou art become the people of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt therefore obey the voice of the Lord thy God and do his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day. And Moses charged the people the same day, saying, These shall stand upon Mount Gerizim to bless the people when you come over Jordan, Simeon, Levi, Judah, and Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand upon Mount Ebal to curse Reuben, Gad, and Asher, and Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And we'll stop there. So what we have is, uh, these are preparations that are going to be made be when they enter into the land. And as you can picture it, <clears throat> they get together, all the children of Israel, after they've come into the land that God has promised them, 
Um, they've spent 400 years in Egypt um, under a bondage of slavery and being uh, just poorly mistreated. They've come up out of Egypt by the mighty hand of God. They have been wandering in the wilderness for all these years because of their sin and um, that the, the men and women above 20 would die off. And we see that now when they enter the land, um, this is going to be a covenant that God's going to make with them that they would prosper in it. And it's going to be, they come together, they eat, they offer sacrifices, and then they're going to have six tribes on this mountain and another six tribes on this other mountain. And one mountain is going to be shouting all of the blessings and the other is going to be shouting all of the cursings that God is going to um, have. And what it's going to be is based on their obedience to the law, they will either be blessed or they will be cursed. And you say, well, what is the purpose of this? Really for us, as we look back throughout all of history, we can see God's faithfulness in his treatment of the nation of Israel. If they were obeying his law, you would see Israel in the, in the state of blessing. Um, if they were disobeying his law, you would see uh, the children of Israel in a state of cursing. Um, so what it demonstrates is, is God's faithfulness uh, to his promises, um, that when he gives a promise that he fully intends to keep it. And even if that promise brings pain and suffering, it's something that God has said he would do. And so when we look at the gospel today, uh, many people have a struggle. They say, how can a loving God send a, a, a decent person to hell? And the issue becomes that God has made a way of salvation. He has freely offered it to you. He has done everything possible that you would receive it. And if you choose not to, then there is a punishment. There is a place that you go um, when you die. And we see that God is faithful in keeping his word. Um, if he were to do all of these things, have the Lord Jesus Christ die upon the cross, um, have him resurrected, all of these things take place, souls being saved, and he were to let one person that didn't believe in Christ into heaven, he would be unjust. He would be an unjust God, and he would not be a righteous God. And so we have to look at God in the way that he uh, presents himself to us, that he's, he's perfectly faithful to keep his promises. Um, so we look at these blessings for obedience and cursings for disobedience. We're not going to go through them all because there's a, a great number of them. Um, but this is the idea of health, wealth, and military victories. If they were obedient, the children of Israel would have health, they would have a great deal of wealth, and they would be able to conquer anybody that came up against them. If they were disobedient, um, they would be sick, they would be plagued, um, they would be poor, and they would be um, easily defeated in battle. It's amazing how much that is still preached today, that if you believe in Christ, you'll have health, wealth, and military victories. Um, that is just taking the promises of God and making them something that they're not. And we see that, uh, in the, again, in the book of Revelation, uh, the church that was poor and suffering was the church of Smyrna, and they were the ones that were blessed. They were the ones that were truly rich. And so we see that <clears throat> it doesn't have that direct relationship. Israel was the only one that has rights to these promises. Um, the church is, is in a completely different footing. Um, so the, the gospel that's preached for health and, and wealth and military victories definitely excites people and uh, will get people to come to the church, um, but not to be saved. And so we just uh, we pray for the, the truth to will out and all of those things that uh, they would come to an understanding of it. So we see that the terms, again, are blessings and cursings. 
uh, the sign given for the law is the Sabbath day. Um, we saw in the, the one with Abraham, the sign for the, the, the covenant with Abraham that they would have the land and that uh, uh, was circumcision. Uh, we see that the covenant sign for the law is the Sabbath day. And uh, the, again, these signs are supposed to give you a sense of what that covenant is really about. And that Sabbath day, we see that, uh, you know, God worked six days and on the seventh day, uh, God rested. Um, we see that as he brought them out of Egypt, um, it was that they could uh, rest, that they would not be uh, under bondage, that they would be a people of his own. And so we see that uh, if they were obedient, then God would indeed give them rest. And they were supposed to uphold the Sabbath day um, throughout all of their generations. So looking at God's faithfulness um, and thinking about this topic, uh, go ahead and turn to Jeremiah chapter 11. Now, this is hundreds of years after the law has been given. Uh, many things have, have taken place. Uh, the children of Israel have undergone blessings and cursings, and they're really at the point um, where it gets as bad as, as they've seen it so far. Um, Jeremiah is a prophet um, to the people, um, urging them to turn back to the Lord, urging them to be obedient. And we see that... Um, uh, Jeremiah was told from the beginning, this is the message I have to give you, and by the way, uh, they're not going to listen to you. I'm just telling you that up front. And so Jeremiah is often referred to as uh, the, weeping, the weeping prophet. And so we have here Jeremiah 11, uh, beginning in verse 7. It says, For I earnestly protested unto your fathers in the day that I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, even unto this day, rising early and protesting, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they obeyed not, nor inclined their ear, but walked everyone in the imagination of their evil heart. Therefore I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did them not. And the Lord said unto me, A conspiracy is found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, which refused to hear my words, and they went after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant which I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. And so we see here that God is faithful. Um, God is faithful even at, at this point in time. Uh, we have this image of all day long he's reaching out to them, urging them to obey. His desire is to show mercy. His desire is to bless them. And constantly they just ignore him. And they go about their daily lives and they have no time for God. And not only do they have no time for God, but they're busy serving other gods. Um, hard hearts, uh, just the idea that uh, it's amazing in the world today, even as believers, uh, we have time to do all of the things that really don't matter, um, but we don't have time to do the things that really do matter. Um, you know, I have time to, to, to go to work and to, um, you know, take a shower and do all of the things that we do in the day, but uh, when it comes to, oh, let's, uh, you know, I've got to read my Bible, well, I can do that tomorrow. 
Um, I should be praying for so-and-so. Well, I can do that later. And that's really Satan's MO. Um, don't do it now. Just, just do it later and do it later and do it later, even with salvation. Um, well, don't trust in Christ now. He'll say, by all means, serve the Lord. I imagine if Satan were here, that's what he would say. By all means, serve the Lord. Just not today. Do it, do it tomorrow. Do it another day. Do it when you're older. Do it when, you're, when you've already passed on um, in age. Um, so we see here that what this reminds us of is of the seriousness we have in Christ. Um, we were given the opportunity to preach the gospel. We're given the opportunity to um, really minister that which brings life to people, um, to be a co-laborer with God. And for that individual that hears the gospel, it's the difference between an a, a everlasting life in hell or everlasting life in heaven. Um, it's a serious issue. And I want to show you um, truly Jeremiah's heart. Um, this is really the stance that they've taken, but um, one of the most uh, uh, common verses that we will quote and will we'll say, um, I'm going to put that into the context of, of when it's given and when it's stated. Um, turning to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 7. It says, He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. Also when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone. He hath made my paths crooked. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait and as a lion in secret places. He hath turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate. He hath bent his bow and set me as a mark for the arrow. He hath caused the arrows of his quiver to enter into my reins. I was a derision to all my people and their song all the day. He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. He hath covered me with ashes, and thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forgot prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Jeremiah is looking back on the city of Jerusalem, the promised city, and seeing it up in flames where women are eating their children just to stay alive. All of these things taking place, everything that's happened. And yet, Jeremiah is certain that they will not all be consumed. And they will not all be consumed because of the compassions of God. And we see that Jeremiah looks back at that city, everything that's taking place, and he's able to say, great is thy faithfulness. Um, God is faithful. And so we see here that um, what this covenant has shown us is uh, the seriousness of disobedience, um, the seriousness of sin, um, and that it's very specific. Um, these promises, again, given to the children of Israel and entered into with them alone. Uh, so what does the law have to do with us now? What is, what is the purpose of the law? Go ahead and turn again to Galatians chapter 3. 
Uh, we were there this morning to look at our legal right to the blessings of Abraham through Christ, um, and we read through a number of verses, and interestingly enough, uh, the verses that we didn't read in chapter 3 apply to this portion that we're going over tonight. So as you look back over Galatians chapter 3, it's really this legal aspect of how all of these things fall into place from the Old Testament and how we are to live now. Um, so Galatians chapter 3, verse 14. Well, we'll start in verse 13. It says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant. Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed where the promise is made, he saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So it's very important to see the order of the covenants um, as, it's, as they're given. We saw in Abraham, the promise was to uh, be a blessing to all nations. And we see that um, that blessing was going to be made possible through Christ. And through our faith in Christ, we are then seeds of Abraham. We are Abraham's descendants by faith, and we come into all of these uh, blessings. Now, the law that's given 430 years after doesn't disannul the promise that was made to Abraham. Abraham was given a promise by faith. We come into our promise by faith the same way. Um, the law does not uh, uh, disannul. So that's one thing uh, we wanted to point out as far as the legality of how this all breaks out. Um, in verse 19, <clears throat> Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added, added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Um, and we see that mediator was indeed Moses. And so we have here, what, what, what does the law serve? And it says it was added because of transgressions. And I think the important thing to realize is that as a, as a people, as a person, you're not just a sinner. You're much worse. You're actually a transgressor. Um, it, we're not just people that miss the mark, that, well, well, we're not perfect, and so, you know, we don't have a right to heaven. Um, no, we're people that when we see the law of God, when we say, well, I'm going to do it anyway, and we transgress, um, we're, like I say, we're more than just people that uh, miss the mark or we're not perfect. So what the law was able to do is able to show people really the depths of their sin and their need for salvation. Um, so when we use the law, what we're doing is we're showing, look, this, this is just a simple thing of God's standards, just a couple things. Um, where do you fall in line? I mean, thou shalt not lie. I mean, do we really need to go any further on this thing? And I think the idea is we know in our own minds um, that we're a sinful people. We're not able to do what we want to do. Our conscience condemns us. We have times when we struggle within ourselves. What the law does is the law shows us proof, really, of the, the, the depths of our sin. Why well, we have all these verses that law was added to reveal sin as exceedingly sinful. Um, so we have here in verse um, 19, really, why the law was given. Um, continuing on, 
Uh, it says, is the law then against the promises of God in verse 21? God forbid, for if there, there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Um, really, that's just a summary of kind of what we stated. Um, the order, why things were given the way they're given, and why we have a promise. If it was going to be based on, I mean, people think that God is cruel today, right now, in the way that he's dealing with mankind. Um, could you imagine if the standard really was you have to do all of these things to get to heaven? I mean, that is, uh, yet people would rather believe that than they would believe in, in grace and the free opportunity for the gospel. Um, the amazing thing about the gospel is that all can believe, all can be saved, all can come. Um, it, it's it's all-inclusive, and yet people would want to be put under terms and conditions, more than likely just out of pride, because they want to be exalted above the others. It doesn't matter if they don't get to go. Um, what matters is that I show that I'm better than they are. Um, that's That tended to be the, the attitude of the Pharisees and of the, the people that abided by the law at this time. Just one more passage. Uh, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to, it just came to my Acts chapter 15. <clears throat> we have this issue uh, which was settled finally um, by the uh, apostles um, of were we going to put the new believers under the law. And in verse 6 of chapter 15, it says, And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. Um, one of the most important things to take away from this message um, is, like I say, uh, the law was never promised to bring salvation. The law is not given to any one other than the children of Israel. And it was only for um, national privilege and service, um, something that would keep a lot of error from coming into not only how we live our lives, but the function of the church um, is to understand just these simple things of, of really the, the order of the covenants, who the covenants are to, the promises of God, and uh, a joy in seeing that God has made it in such a way that all could be saved. Um, it's, not a, it's not a restriction. Um, all who will may come. And so we just uh, we pray for that be, to be the message instead of all the other points that we continue to have to discuss and go over, but that um, Christ is sufficient and that Christ is all you need. And uh, as simple as it may sound, it, it isn't simple. Um, it cost God everything he had to send his son and to judge him for our sin. 
Um, and we see that uh, if, if he didn't have to go to the cross, if we could do it on our own, then why have him go through such suffering? Um, so continue to show forth uh, Christ and uh, not be discouraged. What this does do is it does show us that the sufferings of the Lord through those he was perfected. Um, we pray that we too would be perfected even through our sufferings. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee that you are a good God to us, um, that you have a heart that all, should, all would be uh, saved, that all would come to repentance. Um, Father, we know that it is your will that the gospel be preached to every uh, living creature. We just pray that uh, we would have the strength and um, truly the desire in our hearts, Father, to live that out, um, to preach the gospel, uh, to live it out, to show it in our good works, Father, that we would be built up in our faith and that we would not give others an opportunity to blaspheme the name of Christ. Um, we just pray for all of these uh, Christians in the world that are suffering. We think of, especially in the Middle East, all that they continue to go through. Um, we pray that they would continue to be a light in this world, uh, a light for Christ. Um, Father, we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.